Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey, welcome to Redeemer Online. Uh, If it's your first time with us, my name is Jeff Martin. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're thankful that you're with us. Um, If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. Uh, But we started a brand new series two weeks ago called Head On, where we are addressing questions, tough questions in regards to our faith head on. Instead of putting our head in the sand and just acting like we're not there, we're saying, hey, these are questions that people are actually asking, so let's go ahead and do our best to tackle them. Two weeks ago, we talked about racism. Last week, we talked about whether or not Christianity was good for society. And so today, the question we're going to jump into is this. Why do Christians think they can tell me how to live my life? Um, like, is, is Christianity a straitjacket, if you will, right? Like, why do they think that they can tell me how I should live my life, that their way's right and my way's wrong? So if you've ever had that question or you feel that question or you've heard it, whatever it is, um, today we're going to do our best to, to, head, to meet that question head on. All right, so let me pray for us and we'll jump in. God, thanks for this time that we get to hang out. Thanks for this time where we get to discuss hard questions, and we ask that you'd bring some clarity to them and help us to, to see them um, from a biblical perspective, but to do so in a way that makes sense even to the person who, who doesn't go to church um, or doesn't know you yet. God, we're thankful this time, so we ask that you be with us. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, kids, uh, when you have kids, it's, it's helpful to give them boundaries, right? Kids, I think, do better with boundaries. And so for me, we've got a four-year-old and her boundary is the yard. She's allowed to play outside in the yard, but that's it. Our six-year-old, however, we give a little bit more freedom. If we are outside with him, we will allow him to ride his bike down the street to the stop sign and back. And then our eight-year-old gets even more freedom where we will actually allow her to go around the block by herself, whether we are outside or not. Now for her, that feels really cruel because her friends in the neighborhood tend to have free reign. They can go all the way to the school or all the way to the edge of the neighborhood. They can go all over the place. And so she sees them riding their bikes around, their scooters around, and we're saying, hey, a block is it. And so she feels like, hey, that boundary that we're giving her is restrictive to her desired freedom. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like that is how Christianity is often viewed. That Christianity, and and when we say like, hey, this is how you should live, and this is not how you should live, that people hear that and they go, that is restrictive. That's restrictive to the for the, for the desire that I have to live a free life. All right, it's restrictive to the desires I have. All right, now um, listen to this real quick from Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Um, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, just just hear these words, written by a guy named Paul who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. He says in verse one, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and where by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, I read that because this is a belief that Christians have. We believe that there is a right way and a wrong way to live. And that if you if you live in sin, if you live in disobedience, that puts you in line with God's wrath, that you deserve to be eternally separated from him, that you deserve to be in the eternal presence of his justice and wrath, which is bad news. We say, like, hey, if the gospel means good news, the reason why it's good is because of this, all right? But when we say there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live, and that going against the right way is disobedience, living in the wrong way is sin, people hear that and they go, ah, like um, that claim to moral absolutes, it, it feels like it endangers freedom or that it's too confining or that it's actually more divisive than unifying, um, that it's culturally narrow. I've heard it said that this, this thought process, there's a right way and wrong way to live, it's just a way of keeping people from thinking for themselves. And, and so, yeah, so you hear, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way. Maybe your response to that is like, well, who are you to define that? Who are you to tell me that this is the right way to live my life and that's the wrong way to live my life? So as we talk today, I've got two follow-up questions to the, to the main question, right? Two follow-up questions. The first question is this, um, is there such thing as absolute truth? Right. If we talk about like, hey, we have claims to the truth. Um, is there such thing as absolute truth? And the second question is, if there is absolute truth, then is it the enemy of freedom? So if there is absolute truth, is that actually the enemy to freedom? Is it a straitjacket? Is it keeping us from from flourishing as humans? All right. Well, real quick, absolute truth. In John 8, 32, Jesus says that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 18, Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he says, this is why I came into the world, to, to bear witness to the truth. And then Pontius responds, what, what is truth? truth. And, and so because we believe in Jesus, we believe in one ultimate truth in regards to eternity and morality, right? So because we believe in Jesus, we do believe there is one absolute truth in regards to eternity, how to get to heaven or what comes after this life, um, and then also in morality in regards to, to how we should live according to God's design, right? But it's important to know that there is a difference between Objective truth and subjective truth. All right, so objective truth, that, that's, that's like concrete. It's two plus two equals four. Like that, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. If you say it equals five, you're not going to pass the test. Okay, but subjective truth is, is, is different. It's like barbecue. If I said, what's the best barbecue? Um, is it Memphis style? Is it Texas style? Kansas City style? Carolina style? What, what type of barbecue is the best? Obviously, it's Texas style. It's brisket. It's beef, right? And now you might hear that and go, you are wrong. Well, it's right for me, right? So that subjective truth could be right for me and wrong for you. You might have a different answer that's right for you that would be wrong for me. It's, it's subjective, right? Well, what's interesting is back in the 1700s, there was the Enlightenment. And during that time, there was Immanuel Kant, and he believed that morality was a subjective truth that it was something subjective to the person, that a person should be able to decide for themselves 
what's right and wrong. And so you can say, well, that's true for you, but not true for me. And, and that was that's kind of the birth of postmodernism, right? Well, my objection to that, or my, my question back to that thought that morality could be subjective is, well, are there things that you believe are absolutely wrong? Are there things that it doesn't matter what period of history or what location in the world, like it transcends cultures and time, that it's just, this is wrong no matter what. And chances are you'd say, yeah. I mean, like I think about ISIS, you know, a couple years ago when, when they were running around and making the news, one of the things they were doing is they were taking people who are homosexual, dragging them out and in very public ways, both public to, to an audience um, present and an audience online, they were massacring them. And so I was like, man, no matter where you stand in morality, do you believe that's wrong? Is it right for them, but wrong for you? Or is it just wrong? And I would say that you're probably going to say that's just wrong, which means you even have a standard of truth that's absolute. We all have truth that we believe is absolute when it comes to morality. Okay, So I do believe there's a case to be made that moral truth can be an absolute truth or an objective truth truth okay so now if we can build a case that some moral truth if not all of it right if some moral truth can be objective or absolute or concrete then the question is is that is that objective truth is that absolute morality is it the enemy of freedom is that actually something that is keeping us away from living freed lives is that something that's restrictive right so the assumption we have is that black and white absolutes are bad because they're restrictive and restrictions are the enemy of liberation. But the reality, right? So that's the assumption we have, that black and white is bad. It's, it, it keeps us from being liberated. But the reality is that confinement and constraint are often necessary. Confinement and constraint are often the necessary means to true freedom. Like I think about this. Um, when COVID... Um, first started off, I decided that I would start running. And so I got into running and I was like, I'm going to try to run three miles a couple times a week. And then eventually I did that. And then I was like, I'm going to go four miles and I'm going to go five miles. I'm going to go six miles. And so um, at one point I, I did eight miles. And I was like, I think, I think if I slow my pace down, I could run a half marathon. Um, and so one Saturday morning, I, I, I set out to put my earbuds in and my running shoes on. And, and I decided I'm going to slow it down and I'm going to mentally grit. I was like, I've got strong mental grit. So I'm like, I'm going to just thick-headed Jeff Martin this thing through. And so I set out to run a half marathon that day. And so I started running. And then about six miles in, I was like, I don't think I can do this twice. Much more tack on like another 1.1 miles. Um, and so I started heading home and, and then about nine miles in, my body was like, you cannot go any further. And I was like, mental grit. And my body was like, no mental grit, you're done. And so it turns out that I wanted the freedom to go run 13.1 miles, but I didn't have that freedom. How can I gain the freedom to run as far as I want? Well, I have to live under the right restrictions. You see, I need to restrict myself to a training regiment that can prepare my body for that type of stress level, right? And so like, if, if I'm not prepared for it, I don't have the freedom to do it. So I want the freedom to run however far I want, but the truth is I don't have that freedom. Why am I not truly free? Because I haven't lived under the right constraints. I haven't lived under the right 
set of rules. Okay. Um, another thing, a thing about this is think about the betta fish. Um, my daughter has a betta fish, and I can't stand that thing. I'm like, when will it die? I didn't think that thing would make it a year, much less two years, and the thing's just growing, right? And so I keep thinking, when will the betta fish go, all right? And so every now and again, we clean the tank because it gets nasty, and let's say I just take the betta fish out and I put it on the counter. I'm like, just maybe he'll die on the counter, which he would, but I'm not going to do that because that would be cruel, right? But here's the deal. Like, I, I put the betta fish in a cup. I'm not cruel. But if I put that betta fish on the counter, it doesn't have freedom to live, because it gets its oxygen not from absorbing air, but from absorbing water. And so the only way that the betta fish is free to live and flourish, as it's designed to live and flourish, is by being restricted to life and water. Right? And so I say that because freedom isn't the absence of restrictions. It's finding the right ones that fit our nature and liberate us. Say that again. Freedom isn't the absence of restrictions, but finding the right ones that fit our nature and liberate us. So when the Bible instructs us on how to live, it's always to align us with our truest nature so we can flourish as God's designed us to flourish. Right? So whenever the Bible gives us instructions like, hey, this is what's best for you. This is what's not what's best for you. This is the best way to live. That's not the best way to live. It's to align us with our truest nature. And when we align our lives with our truest nature, that's what enables us to flourish, to truly flourish. Okay. When um, it's Father's Day, happy Father's Day, by the way, um, something I remember about um, my childhood with my dad is that on Sundays we watch NASCAR. On Sundays, we got home from church and we turned on the NASCAR race. At some point, I passed out. Hours later, I would wake up and it'd be like, we're down to 10 laps, down to nine laps, check a flag, oh no, it's a wreck. You know, like, ready to go, watching my NASCAR. And, uh, and so, like, but NASCAR and, and race cars, you'll notice that they'll talk about having the right line. And so on the track, it looks like they have so much space. But if you get the right line and you hug it, what, what happens is it allows you to go into turns, right, without using too much brake. And it allows you to come out of the turn with more acceleration. And so if you have the right line, you can get around the track faster. But the way to get around the track faster isn't to have freedom to go all over the track. It's, it's living within that line and holding as tightly as possible to it, okay? And so here's what we need to, to realize is that, is that God's word isn't slowing you down. It's not pumping the brakes and constraining you and putting you in a, in a straitjacket. It's not slowing you down. It's pushing you forward out of the turn with more speed to experience true life to experience true fulfillment, all right? It's, it's not restrictive, it's actually liberating, right? And so this is why we're so big on the gospel, because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news in relation to that bad news we started off with, the good news helps us to understand what I'm talking about. It helps us understand God's word in a way where we don't see it as restrictive, but we see it as liberating. Now, I mean, Ephesians 2, jump down to, to verse eight real quick, and listen to this. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
you see, this tells us that there's a gift of salvation that's going to prepare us to, to live a certain way. It's prepared us for works, for, for obedience, okay? Here's, what, here's what's interesting. Um, about two years ago, they did a huge study in some metropolitan areas throughout America um, just to see, hey, what's the religious climate? What, what do people think about Christianity? And after that huge study, they decided to get a little bit closer in with some focus groups. And, and these are like in Seattle and Austin, Texas, different, different big city areas. And what they found is that of people who claim to be atheist or agnostic, 75% of them came from homes that would identify as being Christian homes. Talking like 75% of atheist agnostics in these cities were like, yeah, I grew up Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. And so they're like, well, why did you walk away? Like, what caused you? And so the common factor for them is like, well, my parents used the Bible to control me. It's like, the, it's like, well, you can't do this. Why can't I do this? Like, because the Bible says so. And so they, like, so they just, they, they, when they thought about Jesus, they just thought about rules. And so for them, Christianity was more about rules than a relationship. And when there's, when there's more rules and less relationship, the result is often rebellion or walking away. Okay? And, and so what we see here, though, is that, or what we need to know is that the Bible isn't primarily about you and what you're supposed to do. It's, it's not about rules. It's primarily about Jesus and what he's done to make salvation possible for you. And what we see in Ephesians 2 is that that salvation is a free gift. It's something that's by God's grace that you can receive by faith. You see, that's what it takes to enter into a relationship with God. And so the Bible is way more about your relationship with God and how to be right with him than it is about here's how to live a right life. It's not about rules. It's about relationship, okay? And so maybe you grew up in a home where you're like, I just, when I think of Jesus, I think of rules. And I want to say today, like, hey, I get where that came from. And, and I'm sure your parents, I'm not 100% sure it's not your parents, but I'm willing to bet your parents didn't have cruel intentions, right? But hear me today. Christianity is not about the rules. It's about the relationship. And when you get the relationship, Here's what happens. When you realize that salvation, God making a way for you to be right with him, doesn't come from what you can do, but through what Jesus has done, you start to see God's desire for your life. You're like, hey, God desires me to live this way. He desires me not to live that way. You begin to see God's desires not as something you have to follow begrudgingly, like God doesn't want me to do that because he's mean. You start to see them as things that are your, your delight. It's like those desires become your delight because you're like, hey, there's something about holding tightly to these that's like being in a race car holding tight to that line where it's allowing me to, to come into that turn and out of that turn in acceleration in such a way that I feel fulfillment in life when I align my life to God's design. All right? So, so let, me, let me finish up with this. Um, back in 2004, uh, Steve Jobs was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He did this interview with 60 Minutes. And the person interviewing, interviewing him, you could tell was kind of confused because when they discovered, it was accidental. They were, they were removing some kidney stones. So it was a total accident. They discovered this cancer. Now, a pancreatic cancer, I think 5% of it is curable. The type that he had was within that 5%, which means the cancer he got and the time that they found it, it was something they could have cured. But... For nine months, he decided to follow natural remedies. He was like, I think I control this. I'm, I'm going to change my diet up. I'm going to change this up. And so he tried to control it outside of medicine. He tried to take it into his own hands. 
And it, what we know is that eventually it, it grew. It was not able to be cured and, and he passed away. It's like, man, how could someone so smart um, choose to ignore that type of condition? How could they try to take it into their own hands instead of leaning in and listening to, to someone else when it comes to, to this? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered, like, it's like, why do Christians think they can tell me how to live my life? Have you ever wondered why? Um, why would a Christian express to you, like, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way? What, what's the motivating factor behind that? What's interesting is, is Nietzsche, um, he would be like, it's, it's because they want to control you. And I get, like, maybe some people do. Um, tell you what to do because they want to control you. That's not the heart of, of Jesus. That's not the heart of a true Christian. Right? It, it's not because we want you to follow our rules. It's because we want you to know our God. The reason why we would even tell you, hey, there's a right way and a wrong way, isn't because we want to control you. It's not because we want you to follow our rules. It's because we want you to know our God. Look, here's the deal. The, the uncomfortable truth is that sin it's, it's like a disease, it's like a cancer in us. And if it's not cured, the death we experience is an eternal death. But there is a cure, and the only cure is through entering into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you've never entered that relationship, if you've never trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation, because maybe you're pulling a Steve Jobs right now, you realize that the world is broken. You realize that you're a broken person. You're part of this system. And you're saying like, well, how can I fix myself? And you're trying, I'm telling you, eventually you can try the, that remedy. It's going to fall short. So if you've never trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, I want to invite you to trust him this morning to say, okay, God, I have lived in a way that is against your design. The way I've lived hasn't led to my flourishing and and God, I believe you've got a better way, the only way, and I, and I want to follow you. And God, take your desires from my life and make it my delight because I know it's what's best. You, you, can, you can have that today that's being offered to you. And so if you never trusted in Jesus, would you do that this morning? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us that hey, there, there is an absolute truth especially when it comes to eternity and our morality. And you don't give us these truths out of cruelty because you want to punish us. It's, it's because you want us to see that, that we have a, a sin disease that needs to be cured. And God, thank you for stepping into history in the person of Jesus Christ to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserved so that we could be healed fully of that condition and to be truly and fully alive. Your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, if you are a follower of Christ, I want to invite you this morning to remember the cross, to remember the bad news that we were once sons of disobedience, but to remember the good news that God has provided a way to bring us from disobedience to obedience. And to remember that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the perfect life of Christ in our place. That's such good news. That's liberating news. All right, so this morning here in a little bit, I'm going to invite you to, to take bread and to confess sin, to remember, hey, this is, these are the things in my life from this week um, that resulted in Christ giving his life on the cross for me. And then I want to invite you to take a cup. And, and as you drink this cup, remember that Jesus' blood washes you clean.
that when God sees you, he sees you spotless. He sees you perfect because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And remember that as real as this bread and this juice or wine is, um, so is the presence of Christ in your life. Hey, um, we're going to be led forward here in a little bit, but I hope to see you next week as we continue to dive in deeper to these hard questions and approach them head on. See you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.